future is now. Really excited today on the next Mapping vlog and blog to have Mark Perrat. He was the star of the documentary General Magic and an incredible man. I just had to reach out to him and find out, you know, the whole mindset behind the vision and the creativity and the direction of the products that you were creating before, you know, the whole story of how it went. And we'll get into that in the interview. But Mark, thank you for taking the time to, to uh, speak with me today around uh, the General Magic movie, around your work, around the future. I'm truly grateful. Thank you. My pleasure. So, Mark, for the benefit of our, our uh, listeners, tell them a little bit about yourself, your background, how the General Magic uh, documentary got to be, and then we'll go into some of the elements of uh, that, that actual documentary that, that I noticed that I wanted to us to talk about. Great. Uh, so I think I'm known basically as someone who is in technology, is a visionary, but, but brings to it a passion that has to do with more than technology. It has to do with uh, culture, society, politics, economics, and the impact on people. Mm. So um, how did I get started? I, I was sort of raised in revolutionary times in the United States, you know, the, 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 the 70s, yeah. <laughs> environmentalism and, and feminism and, and, and counterculture and Vietnam War even, um, was raging. I was always interested in disruption and revolution. Mm. And I think that that's followed me and that's been my you know my arc and my entire life yes yes so tell us about the the whole role that you had in creating technology that was way ahead of its time and that the timing didn't line up for what what you know we had hoped would happen so talk, talk a little bit more about that sure yeah. sure and these things don't come out of nowhere and i think right. that's something that your viewers if they look deeply into themselves, they too have a story and a narrative and a beginning that's important. So in my case, um, uh, I, I did my dissertation, my PhD at Stanford. It was on the information society. Yes. And it was an economic exploration. Where are we headed? In fact, it was about jobs, uh, which is something of great interest uh, to you. Absolutely. It was that, that the information worker, which is a <clears throat> phrase that I credited with coining, uh, the information worker and information society became the largest group uh, only in the 80s. Mm. So, so I worked on that. It was quite well received and cited, still being cited all over the place. And from there, I was recruited to the Aspen Institute, uh, where um, I was recruited there. And, and I made a film, uh, which I hosted and uh, wrote, um, produced, called the Information Society. Mm -hmm. And there is a, the elaboration on where are we headed as a, as a society? What, what does it mean to be uh, to be driven by this thing called knowledge and information and so on? And that's where I went to Apple with a kind of a audacious statement, which is Apple's future is not computers. <laughs> that is an audacious statement. It's audacious. And that caught the attention of the board of directors and the CEO and so on. Because I also came with a, the vision as to what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, took a couple of years. It took a book that I wrote inside Apple uh, called uh, Pocket Crystal, um, Whole Person Thinking. Uh, and basically what it said is the future, you'll recognize this as, as obvious. At that time it wasn't so obvious. The future is very small, intimate, powerful handheld things that would be with me all the time. Mm -hmm. Communication, the emails and tele you know, telephone calls, and things like that. So basic communication over the air, there was very little over the air at the time. 
Yes. Recall everything was in alignment. And it would be, it would be with, because it was with me, it was everywhere, but it would also be able to send videos and be a video thing back and forth, which is what we're doing today. Yes. Um, and it carried content, which is both publishing and, and commerce. So that was the environment that I felt I saw quite clearly. Yes. While I was at the Aspen Institute and made a film and so on, and brought that to Apple. And it was met with, uh, I don't know about this. <laughs> this sounds kind of crazy. Uh, because the culture was all about the man. And still, that wasn't Jobs, Steve Jobs, around the vision in this sort of the way you're thinking? I wish. Steve had already been fired. Ah, right. Uh, That's right. The timing. Yes. He yes. already been fired. Yes. I, I, and uh, he went off to actually build not little tiny things like smartphones, but gigantic things like big, powerful server. True. Yes. <laughs> And then he came back, um, and I knew him uh, because the team around me was largely composed of people who had worked with Steve on the Mac. Mm, okay. And and so I, I you know I got to know him a bit. And later he actually told one of our key uh, wizards, we call them software wizards, uh, head of engineering, because um, we felt ourselves to be magicians making magic. Yes, that's right. Uh, and he actually told him that a lot of what he saw when he came to visit us uh, was, was quite influential in his own thinking when he began to develop uh, the idea for, for the smartphone. So. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Fascinating. So I have, I'm going to put on my reading glasses because I can't read what I've written here for more questions. But um, so... Uh, you said, you know, you wrote a doctoral dissertation at Stanford called The Information Economy in 1977. What did you know then that we're living today as a society? Because I like how you, I love how you preface this entire interview by saying we all have vision. We can all sort of see into the future. And I think that's true. I agree with you. And I think a lot of people don't trust the magic they have inside to see that. So for for you, what, what are we living today that you saw Back in 77. Yeah. Well, in uh, 76, actually, what what it was about uh, was proof in the economics and macroeconomics. Yeah. I won't talk about it very much because it's economics. The information workers, knowledge workers, will be the predominant occupation in America. That was not so at the time. We were very much had transitioned from agriculture to industry to services. And people were were confused. Services are personal service, like you get in restaurants and elsewhere, yeah. but also knowledge based. And it was, to me, it was absolutely clear that 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 it would be the information knowledge based worker working with information machines in bureaucracies or in companies whose output was largely symbolic numbers and words. So a bank, yeah, it doesn't manufacture yeah. shoes. Whereas in those days, manufacturing was really still the driver of the U.S. economy. Absolutely. So that would not be so. It would be symbolic, which means education and, and learning and facility with using information machines. At that time, it was computer. Now it's really tiny objects. At that time, there were very few, if any, applications yes. that, were, that were available to mere mortals like you and me. Well, now look at right. what I've got on my wrist. It's everything, everything I need is... <laughs> is there? And now it's science fiction. Yes. And it was yeah. actually popular comic book science fiction, Dick Tracy. Yes. yes. And uh, yes. and that would all become commonplace. Yeah. It would become so commonplace that we would not even 
really comment on it very much. Well, you saw that. I mean, you saw the future. So, I mean, I, I just find that to me with the work I do, I find that absolutely fascinating. Um, so in the movie, it was evident that you had great people. I mean, that I got really inspired watching the, the documentary in the movie because I, I believe that the future is created by people who are engaged and passionate around something that, that yes. ultimately changes the world. And this technology did and is changing the world. Yes. So what I wanted to ask you is like, what were the leadership skills, the innovation skills? How did you get everybody so passionate? Cause they were willing to do anything for that project. What was your approach? What did you do? Yeah. So that that moment when I saw that and was able to evangelize and spin out of Apple, it's not easy to do. Absolutely not. Never, never yeah. done a spin out. Yeah. Um, the vision by then was so clear, mm. was so hot and clear and bright, you know, bright light, that all I needed really was some heat-seeking missiles, you know, who could see that bright, hot light and just lock in on it. It turned out that that I was, you know, lots of people had this uh, this vision, yeah. this notion. Yeah. This isn't this isn't something where I came down off the mountain and no one had seen this before. And so what it was was it was a, was people who were thought leaders and had actually done visionary things. For example, the original Mac team. Yes. Yes. Right. Who yes. were all about passion and all about about focus and all about driving things forward. Yes. They had already seen bits and pieces of this. And when it was crystallized, that was actually the name of the book I wrote, is Pocket Crystal. <laughs> when it was crystallized, they said, that's it. And Andy Hertzfeld, who wrote a, a, much of the actual kernel of the Macintosh, in other words, the, the, the deepest software, said, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm in. And he called another uh, one of his amazing wizard friends, Bill Atkinson, who said, I'm in. And so within, it was the vision and the articulation of it it connected with something that they already knew to be true. Yes, I yes, that is an extremely profound statement. Yes, and so I don't yes. take credit in other than being the person who you know kind of lit that torch and then held it brightly enough yes. so people could come in. And then because of their stature and their brilliance and their notoriety, you know, in those days that was a long time ago, yes. nineteen ninety one. Yes, think about that a long time ago. Um, there were actually lists of the top programmers in the world, if you can imagine. A list. Who are the top programmers in the world? Because there weren't that many. Right. Nowadays, the nowadays it would be an out, it would be, <laughs> yeah. It would be a billion. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. If not a billion, on its way to a billion, because they teach you coding in school. And in any event, when you're playing around with this thing, you're actually coding. You right. don't even know it. Right. <laughs> anyway, yes. so in those days, <clears throat> it was in the, um, the programmers were in, you know, hallowed places like IBM. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and that's it. It wasn't for us. Well, they were wizards. And they were in the top 10. And when they joined, that attracted a whole raft of really interesting people who came. I met them. My job was to articulate the vision yes. and make it real. And, uh, and I did so. That was my, my, my role as CEO. And also by then... The CEOs or the presidents of or chairman of three big companies joined us as founding partners. Apple Computer, yes. the CEO, Motorola, which at that time was making the little StarTech. Yes. A little flip phone. Yeah, the flip phones, yep, that's right. Yeah. Flip phone, which is a kind of a you know, a great, 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 great grandfather of what you're wearing on your right. 
Right, right. Um, and and uh, I brought in the chairman and CEO of that company, and then the president of Sony. And at the time, Sony was everything. So you, you would ask the question, how many Sony devices do you have in your house? <laughs> yeah. Because it was you know, five or seven. Yeah. So those, the, the, the appearance of those three leaders in, in industry and the three wizards or the five wizards that came along, you know, geniuses that came along and joined us, Joanna Hoffman, who ran the marketing for the, for the yes. Mac, yes. people like that. Yeah. Um, was like a, it was like an explosion of interest, and within a few months, or certainly a year, we became known as a mysterious company. that was the hottest place to work. Right. It was the place to work right. when you're in Silicon Valley. Right. So, so I just I'm so inspired. I was so inspired when I saw General Magic, and I encourage everybody listening and watching go see General Magic. It is it's inspiring because what it does is it also for me reaffirms that. And, you know, these these ideas that change the world aren't necessarily attached to an individual. They're bigger right. than us. Definitely. Right? Definitely. Us. It's all evolutionary. It's yes. just, it just in a moment in time, someone pops up and does something and then is credited with, with really what is a continuum? What is a river of innovation right. and, and good things? So, uh, so um, the, the people are everything. And, and they are, they were self-motivated. They really did do the Apple t-shirt that said working 90 hours a week and loving it. Yes. I mean, they really lived that, that, that moment. And, and each one became the mentor or the, or the, the, the source of passion to the next person. Yes. I was handed person to person to person. Yes. There's no way that Mark Brad, that I could have hired and, you know, turned up, turned on all those people. It was done by the culture itself. Yeah, well, I think you're, I think you're being a humble leader. And I do, I actually really enjoy that because it's rare. <laughs> um, and, and, and at the same time, um, you know, and I know you, I can tell by your energy that you can go here that, that yes, it's a collective, it's a collaborative, but there are sparks of individuals who, who, who are you know, almost like the Mission Impossible movie. There are the ones that like that fuse, right? <laughs> and I feel <laughs> that you you did play that role of lighting that fuse for those other people to do what they did well. I, I think so. And I think his yeah. role as CEO, my job was to, you know, was to keep everyone energized because, you know, there are ups and lows in every yes. organization, every yes. enterprise, every effort. <laughs> and my job was to keep people up and and enlivened and you know yes. bring in the money was, we had to bring in a I, yes yes boatload of money because it was expensive to invent things that hadn't been invented yet so here's another question that i had when i watched the documentary it was it like were you guys do you feel that you were the innovation lab for what yes, yes. like when they i watched it i went i went you know what they were the innovation lab for what apple eventually just took to market That's exactly what I, it, we didn't know it yeah, but uh, one of the people in the film, who was one of our engineers, uh, she described this thing going on as a supernova. Yes. Now that after it, it didn't work, uh, people from the company went off and did amazing things. I'll give you three examples. For example, uh, one of our junior, junior, junior engineers, woman, went off and was recruited to become the chief technology officer of the United States of America. Working for Barack Obama. I saw that. That was phenomenal. Yes, yes. Good for her. Making sense. Yes. She was. She was our child. She was our baby. Yes. Yes. And now she grew up to be the chief technology officer. 
of, of you know, this great country. Um, more kind of vivid and dramatic, there were two engineers who sat about 10, 15 feet apart. So there's a cubicle over here. Yep. And then maybe over there, there's another cubicle just over there. Mm-hmm. One of them, Tony Fidel, went to Apple and was the key driver of the iOS, which is iPhone. Yes. And is credited with being, you know, sort of actually the sparkler of him um, and the leader in that. The other engineer, uh, Andy Rubin, went off to Google. Yes. And developed Android. And between Google, which is 80% of the world's phones, and Apple, which is 12% of the world's phone, that's 98% of all the phones in the world were created by two engineers who sat 10 or 15 feet apart working on a smartphone in 1992, 1993, 1990. Isn't that... That's how the world rolls. That's just... Oh, yeah. So let's take a look at your crystal ball. Everybody has the ability to vision into the future. And what do you see? Where are we going? Like, what's... You know, we've got drone technology, AI, facial recognition, voice recognition. What, what do you see by 2030? Where, where do you see the next evolution of where we're going? Yeah, I think I told you that, that my concern with revolutions and you know, had to do with people, society, culture, economics, politics. Yes. And before we jump into, into robots and artificial yes, intelligence, yes, yes, yes. you know, there's an intermediate step which we're living in right now and failing it. Okay, tell me. Sadly, yeah. And that's that the information society in smartphones and the cloud, which is also yes. uh, it to us, it's an, yes. an interesting, the cloud, you know, so, yes. um, has created social media. Yes. Social media is, a, is an amplifier. And like any amplifier, but technology is an amplifier. Yes. You know, the, the wheel amplified our ability to push things and levers and steam engines on. This technology amplified the best and the worst in human traits. Agreed. Social media. Agreed. And so let's look at the best, and the best is creativity and connectedness and, and innovation and sense of global uh, you know, perception. But the worst is known. I don't even have to go into it. The worst is the terrible aspects of social media, the worst aspects of, of people saying things that are hateful and, and, and lies. Agreed. And when I say hateful and lies, I'm not restricting it to to any rank in society. You can be a you can you can lie and anybody you can yeah. at the highest levels of society. Agreed. Yes. And they use that. And one of the uh, one of the screenings we did a lot of uh, film festivals. Mm-hmm. I was asked about that, and I and they, uh, the question was interesting. It was it was very pointed. It said, "If you had known that your technology would be an instrumental in creating." the worst aspects of Facebook and Twitter and so on, would you have done it? Knowing the damage that it's now causing. It's a great question. It's a great question. And I gave an answer. And I think that, that your audience might want to reflect on that question and give their own answer. Well, it's something I reflect. Yes. And I reflect on this as well. And, and uh, not that any one of us has any answer, but I will tell you from my perspective, um, if we take a much a, a macro look and like step back and, and stand outside the planet and look at the planet and how we're evolving. Um, I believe, uh, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with Ken Wilber's work, spiral dynamics. Yeah. Okay. So I believe we are evolving to the teal level. However, we're in that space right now where it's about human accountability to behavior. 
And so if, if you are saying hateful things, you are missing an evolutionary opportunity to leverage technology for good. And it's it what I think is being really illuminated and people like Oprah and Prince Harry and Prince William are now bringing awareness to this is we have a whole bunch of people on this planet who are not mentally well. And, and that's creating this vitriol because if, if I, I don't spend a lot of time on social media, even though I'm in business, I'm a self-employed, I spend time on spreading love and goodness. I do not spend time in going down those rabbit holes of where people have a lot of hateful things to say because that's not helpful to my vibrational energy and I don't want to participate at that level. It's not avoidance. It's that I choose not to engage with that. I, I feel like we're in a polarity situation right now where we have an opportunity to help people see that that hatefulness and vitriol is simply a self. They need to point back to themselves and go, what's going on with me as an individual that I need to spread hate. Right. I think there's a psychological opportunity there. It's, it's a lot harder to lift people to higher levels of ethics and morality. Yeah. The force, the energy to, to, to lift a society is much greater than the force of diminishing it and debasing it and damaging it. It just is. Human nature is is amenable to you know to violence and to and to all the things you mentioned. Yep. And it's hard to lift. Yep. So so it's no wonder that when there's an introduction of this incredibly powerful new tool, yeah, uh, yeah. cloud and computers yeah. and smartphones and so on, that both sides of the coin get exercised. And I think it's you know it's it's everyone's responsibility. And when I say that. Usually, when it's everyone's responsibility, then no one takes responsibility. <laughs> but in this case, it truly is. It's, it begins with, as you said, yourself, and then it goes to your children, and it goes that's, to that's right. your that's workplace, that's right. and to perfect strangers. And so, so that's one thing. Now, <clears throat> to, to move on to, to where is it going? Yeah. I don't feel that I'm that qualified to talk about it. Mm. And the reason is that the, this, this, this vision of what we just discussed, it turns out, I think, in my life was a singularity. I think that was the peak moment yes. in which I had something that was really clear and really turned out, I didn't know it, correct and profound. <laughs> that time, it was just an idea. Yes, I understand. So, so I can have opinions now, and I'll give you a couple, but they're, they're secondhand, they're derivative. I understand what you're saying, yes. They're not original, they're not something that I say, and, I, and I'm now going to vote. Devote my life and yeah, no, I'm not expecting that. No, no, I'm just yeah, curious yeah, on your so, perspective. Yes, so on a curiosity. Yeah, the computing environment that, not, that we now live in, the computers as we know them, and have been around since the beginning of you know, Babbage's computers. And, yes, uh, doing the census and, and, and doing looms and weaving. It's all the same. It's zeros and ones, and uh, that's changing underneath us as we speak. One of my very good friends. Name is Jack Hittery working, you know, on quantum computing, quantum information and communication, quantum sensing. I don't have the time to go into what that means, but let it be said that for a certain class of problems, quantum computing is billions of times more powerful than what we're doing now. Yes. For certain classes of computing. Now, fortunately, we don't yet have the software to keep up with the, 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 the physics and the math of quantum computing, but that's coming. And when that comes, we'll be able to do things that are unimaginable today. Right. We'll be able to ask questions about the origin of life and the origin of the cosmos uh, and, and do predictions of all kinds of things. Yes. From, from the emergence of cancer in one person to, to solutions and, and creations of molecules that we've never heard of. 
Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> we'll be able to do that. But we'll also make it so that there is no cryptography that works for a certain for most of the world, unless you have one of these things. Right, right. What does that mean? How, how does how does an economy work? How do contracts work? How does anything work? When there's zero privacy and there's zero protection of your, you know, of your of your intellectual property and of, and of encryption. Yeah. Well, that too will be solved. Well, all I said, all I gave you there was a was a flag that yeah. really serious people are working on this really serious I question, yeah. both for the good and for the good. So, when you mentioned drones, I can spend just a few minutes. I have no no particular understanding of them beyond what you do, but <clears throat> it's inevitable. But once a technology comes out of the genie bottle, mm -hmm. it will not be stuffed in. And that's the generic answer to your question, okay. which is if we have drones today, there will be more. Yeah. They, will be, they will be smarter. Yeah. They will fly higher. They will go deeper into the ocean. They will, they will be go smaller. faster on land. Yeah. They will go everywhere and do everything yeah. that yeah. is imaginable yeah. because that's where technology right. takes us. For good, you can imagine what the other word is, for bad. Um, and that's where drones are going. They're going there very quickly. Mm -hmm. So they'll be used to, to absolutely increase the food supply of the planet, maybe to the point where spoilage goes to zero and transportation distribution is brilliant. And so there will be no hunger because today we're already making enough food for the planet. Yes, agreed. I, yes. Yeah. And, and we will be able to predict weather and weather events. Good thing because we have climate change and we have a, a leader of this country who doesn't believe that. We, we, and and um, and climate change will wreak tremendous havoc and dislocation, so people will have to move from where they are. Not sure where you're sitting. Where are you sitting, actually? Vancouver, Canada. In Canada. And, uh, good. You might be exempt from some of it. I'm not, <laughs> I sure. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> you know, organize your beach clothing, because it will be a lot warmer up there. Yes. yes. Um, and, and we'll be able to model that with, you know, with these, with these this amazing class of computers and, and, and do that. So... There you are. So yeah. let me ask you then, what advice would you give to, you know, leaders listening around innovation? How, because what I'm seeing in next mapping, when we're work, working with our clients is a lot of them are stuck with trying to let go of legacy systems, for example, technology, or letting go of traditional business approaches, whether that's business structure or dealing with people. What, you know, from your experience and perspective, what do you think we can do better in, in regards to innovation as, as organizations and, and business leaders? I'll start with with the, with the personal and then move to the, sure. the to the more sort of generic. On a personal level, if you're a leader, it's an incredibly lonely place to be. Yes, you're surrounded by people, dozens, hundreds, thousands of people. You think my and you and you go everywhere, you jet everywhere, you go to conferences, you go to this, that, and the other, and you sit with very important people and. You, your business or in other realms of society, and you're surrounded, you're inundated, you're going, you're going to parties, you're very lonely. Yes. And I think the leader who feels isolated and who can't exactly trust what's being said mm -hmm. and knows that they have to make decisions mm -hmm. that, are, that are impactful with fractions of the information that, and insight that they'd like to have, mm -hmm. that is the state of being. You're not alone. That's what it feels like to be to be dealing with something that's fast moving, and that's and that's important. Yes. And so, uh, if you suffer silently, that's what it's about. 
And at the same time, you you have to. And by the way, I'm talking about leaders at any level. It doesn't have to be a CEO. I agree. Yeah, I understand. You can be a team leader or a small team. Yeah. Yeah. It can be a you know general manager of this or leader. A leader is someone who has people who follow. Yeah. Um, and and it it is incumbent upon the person to maintain a high degree of self awareness and and introspection and uh, humanity. Even if you have to discipline people and push them and, and fire them, it takes self-awareness, it takes empathy, it takes all kinds of things to actually survive as a leader. Otherwise, you burn up. Yeah. You just burn up and you become a shrivel and you, and you, and you get tossed. True. So the first is a, is a personal challenge. Mm -hmm. The second part of your question is that technology and technological advances take more time to happen than futurist forecast. So in other words, if they say it'll happen within two years, well, it might take 12. Right, yeah. You know, right. I, I've suffered from yeah. that myself. I said, yeah. we're ready for the smartphone and we had to wait 17 years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's true of, uh, it's true of autonomous vehicles. It's true of all kinds of yes, things. Yes. longer. You know, fusion is the classic joke. Right. Fusion energy will solve the world's energy problems because of couple. You know, this cup of water I was just sipping from can power your city for five years. Right, right. Right. It's always 30 years away. Well, it's been 30 years away for the last 50 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So oh, you're absolutely right. Yeah. On the other hand, once it connects, yeah. it happens more quickly than anyone than anyone forecasts. Right. And that's, for example, the smartphone. The smartphone went from an oddity to uh, to people on subsistence. This is this is base of the pyramid, dollar dollar, you know, a, a year are already beginning to get to get smart. They're not smart to get mobile phones. Yeah, yeah. And certainly the, the 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 next billion, if not the base of pyramid, the next layer of base of pyramid, they have it. They're getting it. Yeah. Um, and and so and that happened since uh, since you know 2007, 10, 12, mm -hmm. very very quickly. In, in one generation. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. So the warning, parenthesis, threat to, to your leader listeners is, yes, you can take more time to contemplate, but do it actively. Don't contemplate by saying, ah, manana. Right. Uh, do, do it today. Yes, yes. Start thinking, start absorbing what it is and studying and learning uh, today, because when it connects, it, it'll 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 be it'll be a, it'll knock you over, it'll drown you. Mark, you're 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 saying the next mapping credo, which is the future is now. It's you've got to be thinking about the impact today, even though it could be a far off reality. It's it's about thinking about and, and mentally preparing and strategically preparing. So and that's hard because yeah. because what you're saying in that creed, in that creed is, is you have to stretch your intellectual awareness. Really far, and collect information along the way. When being a leader is all about compression. Yes. It's yes. you've got to make a decision in the next meeting, and you don't have enough information, and it's super hyper political, and people are you yep. know not telling the truth. Make a decision. Yeah. Well, how are you going to then stretch yourself elegantly? Yes. In, you know, into the next 20, 30 years, and think about that when you're being hammered every day by. You know, I, I, I actually believe it's a it's a bimodal um, skill that we're developing as humans. It, right. I really do. I believe we're upgrading the operating system to say 
there is the here and now and decisions and keeping that multiple perspectives open to future and like that's what you and to me that's what you demonstrated in general magic is that you had that ability to see what you were able to mobilize a team locally and and in the now while seeing this great big impact on the future that's what we're asking ceos to do and and leaders as you said yes we yes we are yeah yeah so lastly because i know your time is valuable and i'm really grateful for for your spending the time with me what are you doing now and where did the general (laughs) magic experience take you in your work and life because it's just a fascinating journey yeah well, it's interesting. I, I, you know, as you know from the film, and by the way, for your viewers, I don't mean to be hopefully promotional, but it is on iTunes. Yes. And many other places, uh, Amazon, you know, Prime. It's now playing on airplanes all over the place. If you take yeah. an airplane. Yeah. I'm going to put a link below the video. I'll, I'll put the okay, link. So I'll, I'll, I won't. I won't yeah. but, but, but that was, you'll see, was such a crushing, personally crushing um, event. Yeah. For me, that I had to step back. Yeah. And I was, you know, I, I, our producer, Sarah Cruz, said, you've got to be vulnerable and tell that story. Mm-hmm. People want it, people need it, because people themselves feel the same thing. And it, and it resonates with people. Yeah. No one is not, no one has been immune from disappointments. That's right. And that's really what at least half the film is about, is how to, is how to what it feels like. Yeah. In any event, so I had to step back, and the next thing I stepped into was climate change. And I spent 10 years working on uh, inventing various things that could mitigate uh, uh, climate change. You know, with climate change, we get three choices. First of all, we have no planet B. No. That's so this, is, this is planet A. That's well and said. And there is no planet B. Yeah. But secondly, there are only really three things we can do. We can, we can, and you can think of it as the acronym SAM, S-A-M. Mm-hmm. We can either suffer mm-hmm. or we can adapt mm-hmm. or we can mitigate. So that's it. That's, those are the three choices. And I chose to mitigate. And Karina you know, invented a cement, for example, with others that, that had almost no CO2. And why that's important is because, because six or seven percent of, of our climate change, greenhouse gases, is cement. Really? <laughs> so we need to reinvent. Yeah, didn't know that. Yeah, so we need to reinvent almost everything that's causing um, uh, greenhouse gases right, right now. And so that's what I spent 10, 12 years on. And then um, I was remarried, and now I have a five-year-old daughter and twins who are two years old. Oh, my goodness. That's fantastic. So, you know, so that talk about about reinvention. And and, uh, I spent a lot of my time there. And I'm also building an executive or leadership uh, retreat in uh, downtown Napa. Okay. And it's for uh, teams, uh, small teams. Uh, who are entrepreneurial and revolutionary and innovative to go do what we did general magic open. Go there, disappear into this compound yes. Yes. and invent something and solve something. So that's what I'm doing now. That's fantastic. And I thank you for telling me about the the Napa opportunity because I think a lot of leaders would be interested in participating in that for, yeah. for you know yeah. yeah. Um yeah. they take their team, only their team, yeah. they go there and Yep. It's very, it's very interesting and exciting to do. So, solve some. What I like about that, Mark, is you know you've got Peter Diamandis doing his uh, you know ten times challenges and stuff. And I, I've attended Singularity and uh, the Exponential Innovation Program, and it's all good, but it's really way out there. Yes. And I found myself, even me, who's somebody who likes to spend time in the future and in big thought, I found myself feeling almost disempowered because 
there wasn't a net, like, what can I do with this now? Right. That, that feeling. One yeah. more thing about leaders, uh, your, your audience. Yeah. Um, teams of eight, 10 people, and usually eight or 10 people run sort of everything that's in, yeah. a, in a small, medium size and certainly large enterprise. Yeah. Small teams can become very dysfunctional, psychologically, very political. Uh, ego, when I say ego, I simply mean that thing which is identity. I don't mean egotism. Yeah, I understand. Uh, that thing which is identity um, stands in the way of, of clarity. Yep. You know, groupthink, which is an old term, but, yep. but group yep. dynamics. Still relevant. You, yep. need, you need a group of really smart, well-intentioned people in the wrong direction. So one of the things that needs to happen is a leader needs to figure out how to dis dysfunctionalize their team. That's really hard because now you're getting into the realm of, hate to say it, but you're getting into the realm of psychology and psychiatry. And you weren't hired, you know, Miss CEO or Mr. CEO to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist. You were and yet hired I to run your company. I, I believe that's the necessary skill needed. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So you have to mask that in some other, you can't actually say, hi there, we're having an executive team meeting. And today I'll be your psychiatrist. That is no, probably no. not going to go over all that one. <laughs> but in some sense, that's part of the yeah. you know, half of the content of a retreat, an executive retreat or of an executive team meeting or of a board meeting is sorting out the psychological dysfunction Agreed. and getting to it. Agreed. And that's that's where I that's where that's my interest at this time. Oh, well, we're very aligned. Isn't that interesting that I reached out to you because that's you. that's our work as well. And so um, I find a lot of the work I do with leaders, you know, when we do our consulting and coaching is helping them break down the uh, so um, understanding the behaviors of people on the team and why they're behaving that way. Yeah, right. right. And how to develop that so that it's more functional versus dysfunctional is really the work that we do. So One of the lines in the film, if I may just, I can't remember exactly the line, but you might, um, is, that, is that what it takes to, to, to take an idea and have it go, yeah. you, know, you know, sort of escape Earth's gravity, yeah. is an enormous amount of stress and there's no time for introspection yeah. for a leader. Yeah, there's true. no time. And also, in some sense, it's dangerous to be too introspective and begin to doubt yourself. You have to have a kind of a certainty and a clarity, yeah. even if you don't feel it. Agreed. Yeah. And that's the that's the art of being able to do it. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. This is just phenomenal wisdom. And I just was so impressed with your humbleness in the movie. Like I just felt, you know, you didn't have this, your identity wasn't threatened by the reality of what had happened. You saw the bigger beyond yourself. And that's what really inspired me because that's true leadership. A true leader, it's not personal, it's beyond. It's what, it's the impact and that, that's what you embodied and that's why I was so eager to reach out to you for an interview. So thank you for your time. Well. The future is now.